Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope you're all keeping well in the world right now. Hi everybody, Matt Guy here. Hope everybody is splendid. Splendid, warm and well-nourished. Hello everyone. And we are joined with a fourth this week. We have got Mr. Thomas Kearney. Tom, welcome aboard. It's nice to have you on the good ship Cage Fighting. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Obviously, we've got to ask you a few questions before we go any further, as per the rules. So, what is your favourite Nick Cage film or performance? Favourite for me, it's got to be Face Off, which I think other people have said before, and it's probably like a go-to, but for me, it just quite a lot like the films that I'll talk about in this. It just sums up a time of me being a teenager Face off being kind of the first time I experienced the uh, the Nicolas Cage experience, <laughs> and uh, it's, it's the film that just comes to mind as soon as I hear his name. And yeah, I just I, I loved that teenage me loved that film without any hint of irony <laughs> or knowing just what Nicolas Cage is. I just mm. thought it was so clever and so advanced of its time. <laughs> it's such a great action film. I just thought it was brilliant, and I watched it so many times over and over. And it's one of those that I kind of don't want to watch it again now because I like keeping that as my opinion of it. It will stay the same. It will stay exactly the same because it, well, it, did, it did for me in the uh, less thought-provoking of uh, the three of us. And I was the same because, I mean, that and Conair. Conair was a, the other way where that wasn't, disappointing from what I remember but face-offs it look an eternal film so they never never change uh, so when you go to the cinema what is your snack of choice is it sweet salty popcorn no popcorn chocolate where do you go this is a uh, this is one I had to really kind of put some thought into uh, I think the what best sums it up would probably be uh, get the fuck out of my face with your fucking food. Jesus fucking Christ, it's a cinema, not a goddamn restaurant. <laughs> I hate it. I hate food in the cinema. <laughs> I cannot stand it. I just, oh, I mean, it, basically, I I have problems hearing people eat. It just drives me up the wall. I was in my job, I was seconded to a client's in-house team, and the head of the service used to sit opposite me and used to be a proper lip smacker. Oh, and I used to just nice. be there, just boiling over, like swearing I was going to turn my mouse into dust <laughs> any second, just holding all the rage in. I used to have to go for a walk, and it was on an industrial stage. <laughs> I had to go for a walk around an industrial stage to give myself a break. So that, that kind of, yeah, sets the context. And then the last time I went to like a proper, I, when I go to the cinema, I tend to go to uh, Lighthouse in Wolverhampton or go to mm. the Electric in Birmingham. And the last time I went to like a proper chain cinema was one that's on New Street in Birmingham and went to see Spider-Man Far From Home. And I was already pretty pissed off because they didn't turn the lights down enough. So the immersion was kind of already mm. halfway gone. And then there were just people just constantly grazing throughout the whole thing and lip smacking. And, and I just thought, for Christ's sake, like, did you not eat before you came? <laughs> <laughs> Like, do you have to constantly graze to like to survive? Like, you're sitting in a seat <laughs> watching a film for two hours. Can you not just have a window where you're not stuffing your face? And it just that and yeah, just the whole that experience after being used to kind of the nice independent experiences at at the uh, lighthouse and the electric. Even though I know the electric, you can order food in, but 
the novelty kind of gives it a pass, even though that still gets annoying when you're getting really into a film and some knobhead's got some chicken wings coming like, <laughs> through a crucial scene. It's like nothing like some like poignant moment with you know a tense pause and some member of staff's kind of hunched over, just going, "We'll have to uh, we'll have to cancel <clears throat> our uh, sponsorship with Butterkist." <laughs> it's perfect though that is the correct answer well done <laughs> thank you and finally if you're only allowed to watch one film for the rest of your life what film are you watching yeah this is this is a horrible horrible question mm. uh, and I've gone for one where rather than it being my favourite film it's one that I would grow least tired of if I was watching it over and over again uh, and that's yesterday Okay. Which I think I think it's got a soft spot in my heart as a failed musician. <laughs> that I think every musician at some point probably had the fantasy, oh, what if I could just have all of the fame, all of the credit, all of the prestige without actually being any good, <laughs> which is the predicament I found myself in in, in real life. <laughs> and just that, I think it probably sums up the whimsical nature of little escapism films like that that I was stuck between either this or Midnight in Paris as two just very, very lovely, kind of fantastical, but still grounded with kind of human needs and dreams. Mm. Uh, And yeah, it's, it just touches so many bases for me personally that I could watch it over and over again. The only frustrating thing is just in what world does uh, Hamish Patel not go for a, that lady Daisy, which is the uh, the love interest in Baby Driver as well, and is now in lots of Sky adverts. But... Uh, Lily James, that's the one. I is knew it James? It was definitely a name. It's either Lily James or Lily Collins. I can't remember which one it is, but yeah, I think I, it I know... Lily James. Mm. Yeah, so yeah, I, I did. I know you'd appreciate this, Andy. I almost went for Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Great choice. Yeah. Because I just quote it all the time, and one of my favourite quotes that I always say, and I feel like no one gets it is uh, the scene from the vegan police. <laughs> and whenever I'm in the kitchen and we're talking about, like, you know, getting the Asda shopping or anything, I just always go, that's milk and eggs, bitch. <laughs> and I yeah. feel like you're, you're one of the few people that would have a little chortle yeah. whenever I say that. Unfortunately, yeah. that's not my wife. Who doesn't find me funny? <laughs> was Li- Lily James, correct. It is, yeah. 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 Um, one of my favourite quotes from that is, you were vegan, you will now be gone. Like, <laughs> I, yeah, I... Yeah, it, having getting to see it last or a couple of weeks back on the big screen again after a decade was it was fantastic. It's it's still a brilliant film. Like it's just yeah, it's perfect yeah. for me. That one is love it. I think what you said on uh, on Knives Chow in the top five uh, female protagonist yeah pod was brilliant, and it's something I never really thought of before. But yeah, it just seems so obvious. You got these kind of you got these people who have massive downsides to them and just seem fundamentally quite selfish. And then you've got this one person who kind of triumphs over mm. getting caught in the middle of all of that to just benefit for herself. Yeah. She's the one good person out of everyone, I think. Right. So Tom, we've got you here for the top fives episode because Matt has been singing your praises when it comes to being the go-to guy, when it comes to all things action. So you're a big fan of kung fu and ass kicking. Where did this this love of the genre come from? Uh, I think for me, 
Um, I mean, linked to the fact that just martial arts was just always a, a big part of my life. I was a horrifically weedy, asthmatic Harry Potter looking kid. And <laughs> when, you, when you suffer from those afflictions, uh, conflict just seems to arrive at your door. So I, I started it. And with me not doing any of the sport because I had Swiss cheese for lungs, um, my first kind of experience of being good at a sport was when my dad took me down to like the local kickboxing club and just kind of stemmed from there. And it's just been something from the age of 11, 12 has just been with me ever since. And it's now just kind of part of part of who I am. Uh, and yeah, I just went all in, all in. I would have, in another life, in another alternate reality, I would be one of those odd balls with a shaved head at, at the Shaolin Temple doing one thing <laughs> that, that would have been me. And Honestly, if you just in my kind of Googling when I was a teenager, it all would have been, how do I become a Shaolin monk? How much does it cost to go live in Thailand and train for, you know, for years over there? Uh, but then I discovered the sesh and got on boozing instead. <laughs> never really uh, never really turned into much behind beyond just being an avid hobbyist and the odd, the odd amateur tournament here and there. But yeah, just... For me, uh, martial arts films, they're kind of the the predecessor for me to Marvel before they absolutely, to superhero films before Marvel really nailed the formula. Uh, because it was just always about someone standing up for what's right, someone who is downtrodden, learning some kind of ability to fight mm. for themselves, fight for those around them, fight for what's right. And that's what really got me hooked. Uh, and it's probably why I also just absolutely love kind of the superhero genre as well. Uh, so it started off, yeah, my dad referring me to someone called Bruce Lee and that igniting the initial interest. And then you had kind of the lineage of Bruce Lee, then Jackie Chan taking over from that. And then in my in my late teens, it was very much all about Jet Li. And then uh, Tony Jaa. And then I, I think... Modern day, unless I'm, I'm probably out of touch because I'm an old man now with creaky knees, but <laughs> I mean, after Tony Jaa took his career, took a bit of a weird turn and he kind of went off the rails a little bit and there doesn't seem to have been a current kind of successor that's impacted kind of Western cinema mm. since he's, that. So is Tony Jaa in Fast Night? I'm really I'm the worst person to, to I was ask just thinking, for that. You know the um in in the silly truck. Yeah. Uh, is is that he, when he's he's, he's Oh, is no, it has he got like bright not, blonde hair? It's not fast on, it's it's one of the it's it's it, seven it was a film with Michael Bisping. Because okay, I I've watched all of them recently. They've all kind of blended into one. <laughs> I don't know which one he was in. Mike and he's in Triple X, Return of Xander Cage, and Fast Seven, and Jiu Jitsu as well, which I had completely <laughs> forgot about. <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah, he's running, running across the top. I'd sure. completely forgot about that. Oh, Christ, have you seen Jiu Jitsu, Tom? I've not yet. I've not oh, yet. Yeah. I've got, as, as, as someone who actually did Jiu Jitsu, I just found the title so annoying. I, I watched the trailer and I thought. Hang on, this looks like a really fun, like, you know, take away the inaccuracy of the title. And there's a film to blame for that, which is in my top five. Uh, I just, 
yeah, I thought that looks really fun. Then I listened to your podcast about it, and I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll save myself. That's the that's that's the public service we provide. It is. We yeah. for people. We're time savers as much as entertainers. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, as I said, we're here to discuss our top five favorite fight scenes there's only one rule there are no rules it can be from a tv show or film it can be one-on-one army versus army man versus beast man versus food whatever you want as long as there is some kind of animosity between the folks it is all allowable we'll go five to one and we'll throw in a few honorable mentions along the way we'll go me stew Matt and then Tom. So to start it off, I'm going to go with a film called Old Boy from 2003. It is the original. I, as much as I love Spike Lee, I never gave the the remake any time of day because I heard it was offensively bad. Uh, the scene in Old Boy that I'm that is in my list is the scene in which. If you've seen Daredevil season one, there is this scene where they hide these cuts in it and it looks like it's just one drawn out fight scene as he's walking down a corridor. And you can tell that this has been taken from Old Boy. So in the Old Boy film, he it's been a while since I've seen it, so I might not be 100% accurate on the part it comes in. He is on his, Daisy was on his way to finding the prison in which he has been held captive throughout the start of the movie. As he's about to escape, he's at the start of a corridor and there is what can only be described as a sea of humanity in front of him, all ready to kill him. And all he's got is a knife and a hammer. He somehow manages to lose the knife pretty quickly and he's just battling his way through all these people with his hammer. Each punch that lands, it, it has an impact. It's not just a case of it hits, they fall, and then a straight back up at it. You feel the impact. It, it actually looks real, which I often find with a lot of films, especially from Japan, Korea, and the Far East. The impact is somehow lost. They don't sell the manoeuvre quite as much. But in this, I feel like it really does. Coupled with the fact that it is a scrolling left-to-right scene, and so it kind of reminds me of Streets of Rage, like an old school Nintendo mm. 2D game. It looks fantastic how it's done. I just think it's such a great fight scene. So that's my number five. Stu, what's yours? Well, my, because there was a bit like Tom, my uh, my love is in nonsense. So there was non so Nonsing. <laughs> not the um nonsense but i still can't believe they got phil collins to wear that shirt <laughs> it's absolutely incredible boy. um yeah i went for things that just came straight to mind because I, I, I had a list of about 25 to start with and i thought this is unworkable so in the end i just went for things that stuck in my mind the first time i saw them and we've got to brush over this because my number five is they live so we'll come back to that later. Matt, you're up next. So I need to precurse this as I do every top five by saying this isn't what I think is the best in the world. It's it's my purely because you're going to s- scoff massively at my number five now. And it is the terrorist battle and the destruction of Paris in Team America World Police. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, the reason the, the reason I have this in my list is because at the time of watching, I was stunned at what 
puppetry work they actually could do in this movie. I thought it was tremendous. Mix them with the comedy elements and then the downright crass and offensive humour of, of of the writers. I just it just made for a really fantastic scene. Like you've got that little kid just walking around singing Ferreira's Yaka, and then like he sees this uh, Middle Eastern terrorist that's just got a bit of like lint as a beard, and then like you know, and it's just. It's just hilarious, and the, the, like the wanton destruction of, of it all, um, and then it has like a a fight, like a kung fu fight scene, and it looks really good at first, but then they're just they're just bashed against each other. The puppets, <laughs> it's like it starts off like they're in a pose, but then they're just bashed together, like they're flailing their arms, and it's just it makes me laugh every time. Um, I'm not naive enough to think that I can have that anywhere near the top spot, but it, it does mean it, it makes me laugh when I see it, and that that means something. Andy, you've gone. Uh, I was trying to mute my dog. Um, excellent choice. <laughs> I think like comedy has its place in uh, in action. So like I've got one or two comedy ones in mine as well. So I think that's a fantastic choice. Tom, what's your number five? Well, I've just gone for pure glorious violence for pretty much all of mine. Uh, <laughs> I did. I was tempted to. I think. I think a lot of my choices. I think if you're into martial arts films, they're all pretty basic bitch kind of choices. Mm. But if you're not, they might be a bit obscure. Uh, but originally, I did. I was tempted to go even more obscure and go for like some classic Golden Harvest kind of prime Hong Kong kung fu wire work type films. Like I love Once Upon in uh, Once Upon a Time in China, where yeah. Just some of the stuff that Jet Li does is phenomenal. It's not just about the fighting, but just the way it's set up and the choreography of it is just absolutely gorgeous. And it's just a shame that all of that work is contained in what are fundamentally like pretty shit films. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I loved them. There was a time when I loved them, but recently in the in the first lockdown, I think it was, I went back and I watched Once Upon in China again, and I just thought this is so hard to follow. It's all over the place. Like the the fight sequences are great, but it's just crap everything else the editing is just awful but i don't know if a lot of the time that's to do with international releases and whoever's been outsourced for the dubbing and things like that but yeah yeah, yeah for um <clears throat> going slightly opposite direction and the uh my choice for number five is the dojo scene in the matrix which for me that was kind of my first exposure to martial arts in a proper film you know this wasn't a in the niche corner section of video action. <laughs> you know, this, this was this was some proper martial arts with proper choreography in a proper film that everyone knew. Uh, and that was great. Uh, I think the it probably, in my opinion, had the biggest impact on interest in martial arts in kind of the modern, more modern era, probably biggest impact since the famous success of Bruce Lee in the 70s. I think that all props to Jackie Chan, I think, even though he kind of took over from Bruce Lee in that role, he was probably more known for the stunt side of things. And mm. I don't think watch, like the interest in Jackie Chan made people go sign up to their local whatever martial arts school. It just inspired people to like jump out of a tree. <laughs> which is all good fun as well, but just wasn't quite the same. So that I, I feel that was probably a, a really big moment for just generating interest in, in martial arts in kind of the Western world. And 
got to, it's probably a sin that this is the only film that I've got in here where the choreographer's uh, Yen Wu Ping, who is just an absolute legend uh, of choreography. Uh, in fact, he it's the, uh, the Wachowski brothers who uh, approached him to do the choreography for The Matrix. Mm. Uh, he initially turned it down, refused to do it. Uh, they came back, so he just quoted an astronomical fee. And they were like, yeah, yeah, we'll pay that. <laughs> what, what, what else can it be? So he came back and said, okay, yeah, I'll do it. But along with my fee, I'm a, I want complete control over all the fight scenes and I want to train all the actors for about four months before we start shooting. Yeah, deal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit, better do it then. Uh, and I, so I think having complete control over a, over a fight scene, I mean, to put into perspective, I think Jackie Chan has said that during the filming of Rush Hour, he was in a constant battle on how to shoot fight scenes with mm. the crews on set because you've got the kind of Western style of when you're trying to make actors who are martial artists look like they can fight. You've got a lot of choppy editing and quick cuts away and they're horrible to watch in my point of view because you don't mm. actually see what's happening. You're just seeing flaming limbs. Uh, so, yeah, for on a film as big as that, for someone to be given complete and as a control over all the fight scenes, just yeah, goes to speak how much of a legend he is. Uh, so yeah, for its even though the fight scene itself, I think that there are better fight scenes in the other Matrix films. I think the Matrix Reloaded has better fight scenes, but just for the impact that that initial scene yeah. had and how it just kind of blew up interest, that's that's got to be in the top five for me. Even though, as I referred to earlier with the Jiu-Jitsu film. It is responsible single-handedly for one of the mislabeled, the biggest mislabelings of martial arts ever. So there's that scene, isn't there, where the, you know, he wakes up from having the, day, the, the program downloaded into him and he just goes, I know jiu-jitsu. And then it cuts away to this dojo fight scene where they do no grappling whatsoever. <laughs> it's, kind of resp- <laughs> it's responsible for everything. Ah, oh, jiu-jitsu, that, that kung fu stuff. But, nah. Yeah, great with case. the... Um... With the Matrix, that was one of me because I, I presume that Andy would think that I'd say that anyway, so I deliberately didn't put it in. <laughs> but you, you've got the lobby scene as well, and you've got the scene, mm. the, the original um, bullet time scene on the roof as well. And what you said about the people jumping out of trees when after the I don't think I've mentioned this on here, but after I saw the the first, <laughs> it's not that bad. After I saw the the original one, we um, we used to walk through the hospital coming out of um, Cineworld. So you walk across the road and you're at the wall. Of the, and so I looked at it I thought, hmm, shall I? And I just I tried to run up it straight away. <laughs> 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 but uh, again, it was what? How old would I have been then? Too old so to try to run up a wall. 16, 15, 16 at the time. So acceptable. Um, but yeah. People probably just thought you were shoplifting from Bentley Bridge. With yeah, my with my bleach blonde hair as well, so <laughs> excellent sight. Mm. After such an eloquent defence of the Matrix, I almost feel embarrassed to say my next one. I've gone very more, much more with the Matt sort of route, and <laughs> I've gone for something that's a bit more comedic that has the impact rather than uh, actual proper fighting. So I've gone for the jukebox barroom brawl from Shaun of the Dead. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I had a few, like at one point, my list was just full of Edgar Wright films. And I thought, no, I need to try and <laughs> whittle it down a little bit. So it was, it came down to either this scene or one from Scott Pilgrim. Cause I actually think Scott Pilgrim stuff's got quite a lot of impact in those fight scenes. They look great and you are invested. But I think the use of music, uh, Don't Stop Me Now by Queen, the choreography between that and the actual violence that is taking place on screen is so well measured. It's just so perfect. And I think anyone who is new to Edgar Wright, if you see that scene, mm. it will tell you pretty much all you need to know about Edgar Wright as a director that he's both visually and hourly, I think is the term. He knows how to marry the two up to damn near perfection. And obviously that has had quite a, an impact in pop culture outside of that genre and the, the work of Edgar Wright alone. So for me, I, I think that's great. It's it's one of the best scenes in one of my all-time favourite films. So that's my number four. Stu? I think it's a, a film that's had a lot of mentions over the last year on here. And Inception, the well, final act where they're three deep. I've put the, the hotel scene, but you know what I mean, um, with the spinning hotel corridor, mm-hmm. then interspersed with the fight in the snow. and Just amazing how you even think of something like that is one thing, but then putting it together and pulling it off as a practical effect as well. It was just, again, one of them moments where it was just like jaw drop, like how the fuck has this happened? <laughs> And even when I watched it last year before the excellent uh, Tenet, of course, um, nope. in preparation for that film. <laughs> and even though it had been a few years, I watched it again and it was like watching it for the first time and it was just, it was just awesome. It's just awesome. Awestruck. You can't really describe it either because it doesn't make any sense if you're trying to explain it. Mm. It doesn't make sense if you watch it either to some people, but I think just just because of how outlandish and ridiculous it sounds on paper to manage to actually film it and then splice it together as they did. Just incredible. Mm, Absolutely outstanding scene. Tom, um, Inception, I'm not Inception, sorry, Tenet, are you team Matt or team me and Stu? No, I've not actually seen it yet. Okay. Okay. So you're with us then. That's it. (laughs) It's, It's one of those where I feel like I feel like the moment's gone in a way. I feel mm. like if I hadn't seen it in the brief time when you could in the cinema, then I don't know if I'm going to really have the impact of it. And yeah, and to be honest, at the moment, with a young baby, most films I watch at the moment are in kind of 10 minute instalments. So <laughs> I don't think I'll be able to give it fair judgment. Uh, yeah. That's it's, it's a small mercy for you, Tom, because <laughs> everybody said this. Everybody, not just me, has said this. In the cinema, whatever mix they've done on the audio, it was just so loud. Mm. It was literally, it was incredible. Like my uh, my ears were ringing for hours afterwards when I when I come out of the cinema to, to see Ten. I don't know what they whether that was intentional or City World just have their levels mixed up. But Christ, it was uh, it was deafening, wasn't it? Would you say that you had a tinnitus? <laughs> yes, yes, I did. Cut the, cut the tape. We ain't getting better than that. Incredible. Uh, Matt, you're up to the block next. 
Yes, so um, I had, um, and I didn't think I'd have a clash on this one out of all of my list, um, but They Live. Uh, Stu, was it the alley scene from They Live? From you, yes, did you? The five yeah, it minute, was, yeah. Five-minute alley scene. So basically, um, this is an example, and there's other examples of this in my list, but kind of where what starts, I wouldn't say friendly, kerfuffle, but it starts, um, but just gets more and more visceral, as it goes on and gets more and more angry and more and more violent and nasty uh, as it goes on. Um, and it, and for a professional wrestler doing a um, sci-fi sort of action-y film, you don't expect the it to feel quite as real as it does. I know that's that's kind of a, a contradiction because wrestling is meant to look real, but it feels real. It feels really brutal and nasty. But they also, it gives me personal enjoyment, throw in like legitimate wrestling moves. Like there's a back body drop and a gut wrench suplex in there. Um, and it's just a really well thought out, violent brawl between two people that they almost banter with each other throughout it, even though they're trying to kick mm. the fuck out of each other. And it's just a really excellent fight scene. Stu, what, what did you think of it? And it's the fact that they, they did it themselves and not use their stunt doubles. Mm-hmm. And that it was only supposed to be a few, like thirty seconds, and they just let them carry on because <laughs> they were having so much fun. I mean, I, I haven't seen it for probably best part of twenty years, twenty five years, something like that. And I only watched it on the back of remember the WWF cartoon, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And obviously, Randy Roddy Piper in there, and I thought, oh, he's in this film, John Carver. I'll give that a go. That's literally why I watched it all, all them years ago, and obviously having no clue what it was really about. But it is—it's you—you completely believe that they want to kill each other, yeah. And yeah. that it's almost like—is this going too far? And they've just carried on filming because obviously it's late eighties, early nineties, something like that. Mm. Um, it just feels real. <laughs> it's another one of them. I haven't—I haven't seen it for so long, but now thinking about it, I really need to go and watch it again. <laughs> Because it's, I mean, and it's probably. Remember that? Um, this, was it the social dilemma? That that kind of pseudo documentary drama thing on, on Netflix yeah. last year. It's got a few things in this. I mean, it, it's about some special glasses, which is all bollocks anyway. Um, but it's how you can kind of. I mean, the whole film's like how the world is controlled and everything, and this being set made when it was. It's kind of relevant now, <laughs> which is quite scary. So it's probably scarier now than it was back then. But yeah, if you if nothing else, I mean, you could probably just find the fight scene on YouTube and save yourself the trouble. But I would go and watch this film again, definitely. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I watched this film last night. It was originally in my honourable mentions. Um, I watched the fight scene again last night, and it's the bit where I can't remember the the character's name, but the one guy is on top of Roddy Piper, and he is kneeing him repeatedly in the bollocks. And it, it looked, it's so visceral. And like, it gave me stomachache just watching it. Like, it's so hard hitting. And of course, then it was parodied on South Park in the episode Cripple Fight between Jimmy and Timmy. So again, it's another fight scene that has had quite a life beyond that scene itself. So it's, I think that's a really good choice. Uh, so next up is back to you, please, Tom. Yeah, for this, uh, I was a bit conflicted with this one. It was uh, this was uh, essentially I've I've tried to do one per martial arts icon, and this was my Tony Jar choice. This one, 
Uh, I've gone for, it was between one that I think is, to be honest, the, the better fight scene in the better action film. It's against one that has more, a bit more of a novelty value in, uh, in just how it was made. Uh, so I've gone for the uh, staircase, uh, staircase fight scene in Tom Yum Gung, uh, also known as the Protector. If you Google Tom Yum Gung, that is the name for spicy shrimp soup. So you'll probably, <laughs> just, get, <laughs> probably just get some recipes. Uh, <clears throat> and essentially, the, the reason why, why I picked this is similar to your reasoning behind the, the shooting of the old boy scene, Andy, this, mm. this is, if not the longest, it is one of the longest single-shot continuous fight scenes. Uh, essentially, I mean, the film itself, again, as a teen, I loved it. Looking back, <laughs> yeah. bit crap. To boil it down, man has elephant stolen, man goes to get <laughs> elephant. <laughs> That's, and that's that's kind of it. Uh, so he he finds out where the where the baddies are, and where the elephant is. Which thinking about it, yeah, an elephant in a multi-story building. I'm not I'm not even going to think about the logistics behind that. But he starts at the bottom, massive staircase, and for one continuous four-minute shot, he has a fight scene against multiple enemies, multiple props, multiple stunts in one go until he gets to the top. I mean, strictly speaking, looking at the fight scene on face value, it's not the most complex. Uh, but what I really like is that because it's all done in one take, Tony Jarr, by the end of it, is a bit sloppy and is a bit knackered, <laughs> which is, you know, I yeah. would be that if I was just climbing those stairs. I, I just really liked that realistic aspect of mm. it, just, just dropped in there. But I do have to say that, yeah, the better fight scene is probably the... Uh, fight club fight scene in his other film and probably his more well-known breakout film on back mm. which is just brilliant it's just a case of uh just the the trope of quiet man with strong principles having to just show people some business and i just i just absolutely love it you it, it starts off with this big brash aussie guy he's absolutely huge absolutely ripped and he's beating the shit out of people. He starts uh, molesting one of the like waitresses at this at this bar, at this kind of fight club slash bar, and then it all escalates. Then he kind of steps in. He's about half the size of the guy, and the guy's getting ready, getting pumped up, getting in his face. He goes to run in, and he just throws like his entire body behind this front kick straight to the guy's face, and he just smashes down. And it's again that kind of that that visceral realism in a fight mm. scene. That it's it's crazy that I, I can't remember when it's made, but in the noughties, you know, people have been fighting, filming fights with, on the most part, two arms, two legs, throwing punches, throwing kicks. How could you do it new? How could mm. you do it in a different way? But somehow, with how we did it, with this kind of traditional Mai Tai and Mai Baran influence. It just seemed to put it all together in a new way that was just so appealing and so fresh. That fight club scene, yeah, as a fight scene, without all of the kind of novelty of how the staircase scene in Tom Young Gung was, was shot, that is the better fight scene. And it's got my one of my favourite martial arts film tropes, which is the escalation of the opponents and the, and the styles. So you've got the big guy, he beats him, then another guy steps in and he's like a 
a fast kicky guy who's really annoying beats him and then it escalates up until essentially this one guy who's just a nutter starts like trying to set people on fire <laughs> and it's just yeah it just it just it brought together so many tropes in martial arts films that's so indulgent in a new fresh way mm. in fact you know fuck it yeah number four is on back the uh <laughs> 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 the, the fight club scene and yeah the staircase i'm sorry i'm gonna i'm gonna have to just relegate it to honorable mention in my tony jar chapter I like Live. how you talk yourself out of it there. That's brilliant. <laughs> Live editing, that's never happened before. Yeah, tremendous. So my number three, and I think this might surprise Stu and Matt, I'm going for the opening scene from Saving Private Ryan. Oh, that does surprise me. Mm, I mean, obviously, you know I'm not a huge Tom Hanks fan, but I do think this is like one of his better films. I think it's a really, really good movie. But I just love... The opening where you've got these men on the boat as he's approaching the beach. Like they're throwing up because of the nerves and the seasickness that they must be feeling as bullets and bombs are going off all around them. Like that, you see him just as about to leave. They kiss their, their crosses for good luck as they're about to go on the beach. And as soon as the, it's not quite, he said not a door, is it? But as soon as they're, it's open for them to go and hit the beach, they're just getting absolutely massacred. Bodies falling indiscriminately throughout this scene. It's so, it's t- the shooting of this scene is so tightly shot. It's so aggressive. Like, you just don't know where to look because as soon as you see one thing, it's editing, it's cutting to the next. I'm not usually a massive fan of, like you'd mentioned before, Tom, like where it just goes edit, edit, edit. I don't like that, generally speaking. But I feel in this scene it worked perfectly because there is so much going on with so many different little stories here, there and everywhere. And you've lost the hero in all this. You don't know where Tom Hanks is until partway through the the 10 minute sequence. It's so discombobulating. You don't know what's happening. You genuinely fear because absolutely anybody and everybody could die Mm. and you just wouldn't know. I mean, putting it in this in a fight list might be like not might not be the right one because it was almost a genocide that was going on here. It wasn't so much a fight as it was just flat out murdering a group of people as they approached a beach. But it's I think it's one of the best shot scenes that I've ever seen. And for to open a movie that way, it's like balls of steel to pull something off like that. Oh yeah. I mean, I remember that was the um, film that I used to like test my surround sound out for the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it was just like the sound work, the audio work was so phenomenal in it. It was literally like vroom, vroom, like coming left, right. That it was just, it was just sensational. Um, and you're right, it it it's used in as the benchmark for anything Omaha Beach related. It is mm. the benchmark that everything will, will always be compared to. Um, and they did, did a tremendous job of it. And f- f- that movie, unfortunately, never recovers for me past the opening 10 minutes. <laughs> I, I don't think it gets much better than that. Yeah. Um, which is a shame, really, because it starts off so amazingly well. But how, how, do you, how do you top that up? It's like, you know, it's like going, it's like, I don't know, Iron Maiden starting their set list with Run to the Hills. Do you know what I mean? Or, or Metallica <laughs> starting with Enter Sandman. It's just like you just don't know where to go from there, dear. But yeah, a great choice that is. I, I was going to say it's a bit like watching Paul and shooting you loud and then having to watch Love Actually <laughs> 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 later on. 
But yeah, I, I never even considered that um, that scene. To be fair, well, obviously for because it's so one sided, like you said, Andy. It's, I'm still amazed that you even like like a war film. It's kind of you are changing. I mean, I know I'm I'm turning to you when buying skinny jeans and stuff, which is terrifying. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Would you say that um, with the opening five, ten minutes being something that the rest of the film finds hard to live up to, would you say it's almost Snyder-esque? <laughs> that, that is a very, very good question. You are right. It's, Snyder does have this... He knows how to put together a beautiful montage to start a film. Almost like a music really video. Excited. Yeah, it's like <laughs> a music video. Gets you excited, and then the rest of it just sort of farts along a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, that's a good comparison. Uh, Stu, you're up next, please. It's inevitable. Duel of the Fates, Star Wars Episode One. Darth Maul, slice down. Superb. And it... Obviously, there was the redemption in bringing him back in the um, in the Clown Wars and stuff. Because it, it was... Other than, obviously, Jar Jar, he was the best character in that film by a mile. <laughs> <laughs> and you just never saw it coming, and you never, you never really expected Liam Neeson to be wielding a lightsaber like that. And for, like Tom has already said about... Um, training and stuff. Ray Park did a lot of the training for them and just for him and Hugh McGregor. And it shows because that whole when they're in between the, 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 the beam doors as well, just the tension of him just sitting there, just waiting to just slaughter them. Mm. And you think, oh no, this is going to go off. And obviously the score helps as well. I mean, if you, if you had Benny Hill in, in the background, it wouldn't be as good. But <laughs> it, it does kind of, it does add a lot to it. And like we said in conversation earlier this afternoon, that it is an iconic score now. Due to the fact, it's just an amazing piece of work. And I think that if that was in, it's kind of a theme now so far that if this scene was in a better film, it'd be lauded forever. Yeah. But it's, it's stuck with a film with fucking gun guns in. So it's going <laughs> It's gonna it gets lambasted and there's no reason why it should because that five ten minutes is incredible. Mm. This this one scene is the only reason that episode one is my favourite of the prequel trilogy. Because I think this scene and I think it's I said to you earlier, Stu, the music in this scene is some of the best music in any film that's ever been made. Not just Star Wars, not just John Williams, any film ever. I think it is exceptional. And yeah, I think this elevates the whole film. It is that good. But I mean, it, it's taking it from a minus to like a better two out of ten. So it's not great still. <laughs> Without this, you're left with things like, Misa said no, no. And, <laughs> I mean, when, when that's a quote of a two and a bit uh, film, mm. that's just bollocks. And <laughs> what hope have you got? <laughs> a new hope, maybe. <laughs> yeah, incredible. It's one of those as well where, uh, yeah, on. Just on the fight scene alone, it's brilliant. It's phenomenal. But then when you hear the likes of Dave Filoni going into the background of it and the overarching meaning of it and what it's for and what it's for the future and that it's essentially a, a battle for the future of Anakin and the consequences that it goes on to have in that you know, Qui-Gon mm. Jinn was going to be the father figure that he didn't have, that uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi 
you know, refer to Anakin as like a useless life form when they first met, and he very reluctantly kind of took on more more and as a debt to Qui Gon Jinn than off his own back to train Anakin, and was more of like a begrudging older brother figure. Mm. That without that father figure, that's what led to Anakin not having quite the guidance that he needed and leading to his fall to the dark side. And I think, yeah, I think with. I find that with the prequels, it's a, it was a case of good principle, awful execution, because in terms of <laughs> law, and I mean, that just shows on just how good the Clone Wars animated series is, you know, using the same kind of world and the same kind of core stuff, but just making something so much better. It does, it does kind of, yeah, forgive the prequels for me a mm. little bit. Just that Only background. Little. <laughs> Matt, you next, please, sir. So we're going all the way to uh, Westeros for mine. The Battle of the Bastards from Game of Thrones. Um, I don't know where to begin with this. This scene, this scene for me. I mean, we've got to talk the context of of, of it. Film. It took twenty five days to film this this seven minute scene. Um, for anyone that's lived under a rock. Essentially, it's the it's it's the battle of the the two bastards, Jon Snow and Ramsay Bolton, um, fighting fighting for Winterfell, essentially, um, and it's just absolute carnage. And you know, if you if if you've read the books or you've watched the show, you know that you cannot trust Game of Thrones to give you the outcome that you want, <laughs> um, and you are going to have your heart broken at some point. And it very much felt like this was going to be the case towards the end of the scene. Jon Snow's drowning in bodies. And it looks like this is the end for our hero again. I'm not sure if it's again by this point. Yeah, he must have already died by this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you think, well, this this is you know this is the end, and the fight scene is so brutal and so violent and so intense. And I mean, when when we were talking about uncut gems, one of the few times where like my heart has literally raced through my chest as I've been mm. watching something that happened in this scene or the you know this sequence. Um, and it's important as well because this was like the coming out party for Sansa Stark as well in many ways that to prove that she isn't the the bitch to be fucked with, so to speak. And um, it, it was just so intense, but inherently good triumph over evil, which wasn't the mantra of Game of Thrones throughout a lot of it. But the scene itself is just a spectacular display of just what you can do with with good direction and 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 time and. Unfortunately for for the big screen, it meant that everybody else had to step up their game if they wanted to if they wanted to have any kind of like big battle scene because it will never be, it's gonna have to work really hard to beat the Battle of the Bastards. It was just it was just tremendous. I mean, you can watch it on YouTube and it probably won't have the same effect if you don't enjoy the show, but you'll still feel just how brutal and and, and violent it is and, and how wonderful it is. Mm, yeah, that the part where he is, as you say, drowning in the sea of humanity, when he can finally get his head above the mm. the, the people, like you, you're genuinely breathing a sigh of relief yourself. It, it does feel like it's the first time that you, as the viewer, is able to breathe. It really does drag you into the middle of the shit. It, with it, it's so well done. It's probably the best shot sequence in any of Game of Thrones. Mm. I'd say, yeah, yeah, I'd agree. Uh, so number three for you, please, Tom. So for me, it's another one where 
on the face of it, it's quite shit. But <laughs> there's a, a, a lot of meaning and a lot of history behind it. Uh, and this is my my Bruce Lee choice. And it's the, the kind of final pagoda sequence in Game of Death, which it's a bit of a cheat because I think in the in the intended final form, this scene doesn't strictly exist, or at least it didn't until very recently. Because the story is that um, Game of Death, uh, essentially Bruce Lee had built up enough kind of reputation and power that he was able to kind of start to really put his own vision together of what he wanted to do in a film. And this is this is a film where he wanted to really put a lot of his own personal philosophers into it in terms of martial arts training, you know, not picking one style or doing anything one way, treating everything as a whole and, you know, not limiting yourself by just saying, you know, I am a this type of fighter, that type of style, whatever, just really being really expansive and inclusive with it to try and be as complete as possible, which is a philosophy I think you can carry on into a lot of things. But essentially they recorded about half an hour's worth of footage and the offer came in to go and make Enter the Dragon. So he went, uh, made that, of course, died soon after. Mm. And Game of Death never really was finished. Uh, and it's a film, I, don't don't watch it, don't waste your time, because it's awful. <laughs> it's kind of, it, it was it was laterly kind of cobbled together using edits, stand-ins, doubles, mm. all sorts of like dodgy CGI um and the, the way the production company handled it was awful they they even used footage from bruce lee's own funeral from the news footage in Jeez. the film as a plot point saying that the character had faked his death to try and then also explain away the shoddy kind of body doubles that they then used to try and finish the film um and anyone connected to bruce lee condemns this film and the way that the production company operated to the point where um, Chuck Norris was, I think he was featured in the film slightly using some archive footage from Way of the Dragon. Uh, and even from that archive footage, he was given a credit and he sued the production company because he didn't want a credit. Because <laughs> he didn't want his name to this film. Jesus. Uh, and in its final form, the only place I've ever seen it as close to the original vision was in actually a documentary about Bruce Lee where they'd tracked down all the footage and as closely as possible edited it all together. And the principle is that as a very familiar theme of you're at the bottom, fight your way to the top. You know, it's similar to the staircase mm. thing. The raid did that magnificently dread another version mm. of that kind of principle. And it's just such a great it's just such a great instrument as a challenge in a film, just like, right, you're here, get to the top and just, yeah, see mm. how you can make it through. And um, the, the essentially each floor of the pagoda is filled with a different expert in their respective field of martial arts. Yeah, you know, an expert kind of puncher, an expert kicker, an expert grappler, an expert with weapons. Uh, and then at the top, and, and Bruce Lee essentially showed how his philosophy of not being completely limited to one way showed that he could adapt to each style and make his way up. Uh, <laughs> funny thing is the, the person at the top was supposed to resemble the most complete, lethal enemy mm. that he was going to face. 
Uh, and it's not a great fight scene, to be honest, because the person who chose to play that nemesis was one of Bruce Lee's famous students at the time, basketball legend Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> and I think fair play, he clearly trained a lot, and it was a big passion of his. But just logistically, having a bloody giant, some seven-foot-odd tall lanky dude fight a five-foot-seven some of that guy. It just, it's just really herky-jerky and awkward just in terms mm. of the space that's between them. And So it's a case of, yeah, these like, within within this entire sequence, there are some great moments. Uh, most notably, probably the, the, nunchak, the nunchaku battle between Bruce Lee and one of his top pupils, Danny Masanto, which is really unique because you tended to get kind of in a lot of traditional martial arts films, you'd have the nunchucks, you'd have the one person using them against a crowd of people, against other people, but you very rarely saw some uh, some hot nunchuck-on-nunchuck action. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so it's one of those where the fight sequence, there are some great moments in it. Not on the face of it the best, but that kind of philosophy that was put across hmm. is why I think Bruce Lee gets a lot of credit in terms of the approach that a lot of people took when it came to cross-training in different fields, and that ultimately led to kind of mixed martial arts in the UFC. This, okay. This principle of, well, let's become good at everything. Mm, excellent. Great choice. Uh, my choice, I've never really watched a great deal of Eastern-style fighting movies. So I think the first one that I would probably would have seen would have been the, this film, Kill Bill Volume 1, which I think was the one that introduced that style to a more mainstream audience. Um, obviously, Tarantino is very much a magpie when it comes to movie making. He takes a little bit of all the nice, pretty, shiny things and puts them into his movie. Um, and the scene specifically that I absolutely love in this movie is where the bride fights the crazy 88. I think that is an absolutely outstanding scene. It takes a little bit of that jukebox barroom brawl from Shaun of the Dead in them putting it to that specific soundtrack. The name of the band escapes me at the moment. But it is so well done. It adds this layer of intensity to the movie. The... Because it's almost like a Japanese-style punk music, if I remember correctly, that's mm. going on. It's these really fast riffs, and it just works wonderfully with the visuals. And then, of course, we get the girl from Battle Royale comes in, and that face-off between her and the bride. I don't know what that weapon is that she has, but I really want one. It looks fucking awesome. I'd really like to have a go with one of them. But yeah, I love that. I love the film. I love that scene. I just think the whole thing's outstanding. It's so well shot. And again, to the music soundtrack, just perfect. Really well done. The uh, the outfit worn by Uma Thurman in that film is a nod to the uh, tracksuit that Bruce Lee wears in The Game of Death. Yeah. That yeah. iconic kind of yellow, yellow, black stripe down the side. And the, the choreographer for the Kill Bill films was none other than... Uh, the aforementioned Yen Weeping. Oh, right, okay. So they had, like, the top dog that they could have got to, to pull it all together. Yeah. And I think it shows, like, you can tell that it's it's not just done by Tarantino. They have got proper people in there to do the job. Stu, your number two, please. 
Is this the oldest film on this list? And you, you've got the uh, the main thing of the um, but I think it's got a pretty good chance. Nineteen sixty-three, maybe one of Tom's, maybe older. Just because I don't know those films as well, um, but possibly not. And it is a fight scene in a train carriage in From Russia with Love, which I mean, when, when you got a guy from Lancashire playing a Russian, that's enough. That's all you need, anyway. <laughs> But beating the shit out of each other with a briefcase and throwing each other into things and absolute silence as well. No music in the whole scene. And mm. maybe because it was a second Bond film, they had no money. I don't know. But it's just one of them things. That I, I remember it was. I probably watched it with my granddad. Um, very, obviously very long time ago as one of the first proper films to watch with him other than things like Thief of Baghdad and stuff like that that he was obsessed with. But as a first proper film, it, it was always stuck with me. Obviously, you got Rose of Cleb and the Silly Shoe and all that kind of thing. But that fight scene in the, in the train car, I mean, I hadn't seen a train like like that kind of old 50s, 60s style where you've got independent, independent, individual compartments. Mm. I'd never seen one of them until a few years ago. So it was when I was in um, a railway museum up north. And it was one of them things. It was all. It was really weird being in one. Finally, thinking, oh yeah, it's, it's not just a prop. These are things. Things actually existed in the sixties, and obviously in heartbeat. Um, <laughs> but just seeing how small they are, them compartments, and the fact that they managed to get an incredible fight scene out of such a small space, just blew my mind. Is this a Connery Bond? Oh, I'm not great with Bond. Okay, I don't know the specific fight scene, but like the the idea of fighting in one of those tiny little—is it like the sleeper compartments they have yeah. within them? Yeah, like like you said, they are tiny. You've just got leg room with whoever sat opposite you. So that must have been a hell of a feat of production to try and get something out of that. That's quite amazing. Uh, next up then is Matt, please. So, quite predictably, as I think I mentioned this maybe on an on an average of every two point five podcasts, but um, <laughs> the church scene from uh, Kingsman Secret Service. Now, as great as the the scene is, the choreography, the fact that it doesn't rely on too many cuts away to Samuel L. Jackson um, and Egerton to 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 like break it up. Um, what really makes this scene is the choice of using Freebird by Leonard Skinner as the music because the whole solo of Freebird is like an escalating guitar fight in itself, really, that builds and builds and builds and builds and, and, and just goes on and on and on and, and increases in its intensity. And then the action itself, I mean, what fight scenes for me, because I don't have a technical bone in my body when it comes to you know, fighting or anything like that. What I really enjoy seeing is, is the, the, the brutality and the, the tribal kind of nature of human beings when they're fighting, i.e., you know, when it, when it's really, there's no technique there. It's just pure adrenaline and aggression. And this is, this is exactly what this is. This is when whatever technology you use just ramps up the aggression of, of people. Um, and it's exactly this, like the, the way that they have the creative ways of killing people in this space it's just incredible. There's everything from kind of using um, like the church pews to um, he breaks like 
like a just pan, not a just pan and brush. What am I talking about? Like a broom in half. They're using the organ. He's got like his fancy lighter, a taser, guns, fists. It's just incredible. And then it's like whenever you're watching any kind of video, like a reaction video of a mass crowd, you cannot watch. You cannot watch um, Harry in this scene. You could watch any of the other people in the background and they're all doing something incredible. It's not just a one man show either. The whole production is incredible. And it's just, it's just a real, like I should feel guilty about feeling so pumped up about watching this mindless violence action, but that's exactly what it's there to do. That's, that's, that's what the character, that's what the people in this scene are doing They're They're out of their mind with adrenaline and aggression, uh, adrenaline and aggression. And you almost feel that as a viewer. And I think it's really, really good how they do that. Hmm. It's definitely one of the most fun fight sequences I think I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, the use of music is just incredible in this one. Tom, your number two, please. So my number two uh, hasn't quite got the the history and novelty as some of my previous picks. Um, I thought this was my my official Jet Li choice. Uh, And I was going to go with Fist of Legend. Which is a, a Yen Wu Ping choreographed film. It's a, it's like a, a essentially a, a, I was going to say modern, but I think it was made in '94. A more modern take on the kind of story in Bruce Lee's Fist of Fury. There's a, there's a lot of, a lot of awkward anti-Japanese narrative with it being set during the time of Japanese occupation uh, and kind of Chinese rebellion against that and it's essentially gently rocks up to a Japanese karate school and beats the other little shit out of everyone uh, and, it's, and it's brilliant but as I was looking at this and I started having a look through kind of Jetly's various films a more modern film that I used to absolutely love and just had completely forgotten about was there and as soon as I saw it I was like ah shit yeah fuck that I'm gonna have uh, the twins fight scene from uh, Kiss of the Dragon which okay. um, because the dragon, I think, isn't too bad a film to be honest. It's got some, yeah, it's good. It's got it's got Bridget Nielsen in it and the guy who plays Baptiste. So, you know, and the uh, the chap who played Cato and Pink Panther. So, you know, it's an all star cast. You know, they're no clowns. And uh, essentially, this is the oh, yeah. There's there's nothing really too profound about it. It's just fucking badass. <laughs> uh, you've got these these twins are like the head henchmen. Uh, I don't think they've got a single line in the entire film. They've just, they've both got bleach blonde hair, kind of bomber Harrington jackets, matching bomber Harrington jackets, matching cargo trousers. And they're just, you know, to teenage me, they looked the absolute dons. They look like absolute savages. And uh, the build-up of the film is essentially, you know, Jet Li, this, this quiet Chinese special forces operative, kind of sent to Paris to... Get to the bottom of something or other, and uh, yeah, the it's the main fight. There's there's two of them. These there's two of them. These twins. But you've got the uh, the main guy who's played by Sir Raffaelli, and then another guy who's just a big lump. And Sir Raffaelli is like doing all these crazy acrobatics. He's really really impressive to watch. He was, he was in a French film with one of the founders of parkour called District Thirteen, and some of the action sequences in that with the parkour and the martial arts are phenomenal. And it's great just to watch the um, the film is just a culmination of this kind of quiet man feeling the need to step in, and with everyone kind of overlooking him as this kind of fairly introverted little guy 
he just goes on to just tear holes in everyone. Uh, and yeah, it's it's just one of those where it's taking something as basic as filming a fight in an abandoned office and the way that they do it and the music that they put to it is just phenomenal to watch. And yeah, I just love a good style mix-up. Mm. Excellent. Um, I, was say, I, w- I was almost convinced that he was going to say Jet Li's the one at that point. At one point, there, <laughs> oh, God, I was there recently. Jesus Christ! Just yeah, there, there, I think you might have noticed that. I think a few weeks ago, I asked a question to the pod saying, "What films do you wish you never went back and watched?" Yeah, and so many of them are martial arts films for me because yeah, well, that, that's it's got everything. I mean, it's got Jet Li and the Stafe in the same film. So. <laughs> I watched that in the cinema as well, day one, and yeah, um, I couldn't believe it. It. It, was, it was amazing, but again, I've I've never seen it since. It's Jason Statham with hair, though, so he's not quite got his mythical status of well, that's modern day Statham. <laughs> uh, have you ever seen Unleashed with um, Jet Li? Mm. Yeah. I, I quite I enjoyed that. Like, I didn't expect a lot of it, but it ended up being. A bit of an enjoyable story. I think there was more to it than what met the eye. Yeah, I think it was it was a lot more than just an action flick. There was a real human side to it, with kind of him discovering how to how to kind of adapt to a normal society, and as he learned to do that, not wanting to fight anymore, and yeah, having that kind of adoptive father figure with Morgan Freeman, and having his daughter kind of bring him out of his shell, mm. and then you've got. Bob Hoskins playing the absolute big baddie, nasty piece of work. Mm. And it's again, it's one of those films where the audio is as captivating as the as the visuals on the fight scenes because mm. it's another just really uncomfortably realistic sound when you hear the impact of punches landing on skin and bone. Mm. Uh, so we'll have a few honourable mentions before we give our number one. I think. Um, so I've got another mention. I didn't quite know where to fit this one in, but it's the Evil Dead film and TV series. I, I couldn't couldn't get one specific scene out of this because I think there are so many excellent, funny, fun, disgusting and disturbing moments in this, like where he fights his own hand. Like it's, it's sort of brilliant. But then in the TV series, there's some real harrowing moments in some of the fight scenes. And I'm kind of amazed that the TV show has gone a bit under the radar. So even fans of the Evil Dead trilogy don't don't especially know about the TV series. And it's a great shame because that was three really good seasons. And it does have a proper ending. So it's well worth your time if you ever get a chance to, uh, to visit that world again. And I've got two other honourable mentions, which are from the comic book world. So Superman versus Doomsday. This was such an iconic fight. It was the death of Superman. And it's also the comic that broke death. Like the door to death is now a two-way thing. You don't necessarily stay dead. Um, But this fight eventually led on to the Black Lanterns versus the White Lanterns in the Blackest Night series, which is one of my all-time top five favourite graphic novels. It is incredible. And it's basically the Black Lanterns are all of the former superheroes who have passed away, and the White Lanterns are the superheroes who died and then have come back to life. 
And it's like the midway point in one of the most incredible story arcs of any comic book series. Jeff Johns did a 10-year run on Green Lantern, um, and this was five years in, and it was just... It spent five years building up to the War of Lights, and it was just astounding. Like, the whole... I think there was about 100 and something books to the whole thing in the end, but it was just beautiful. Like, it brought a tear to the eye. It was so well written. And the actual artwork in it was superb. I think it was Ethan Van Scriver, if I remember correctly. Stu, have you got any honourable mentions? A lot of them have already been mentioned. <laughs> um, obviously, I said The Matrix anyway. You said the, uh, you mentioned Daredevil for, obviously, the one-shot yeah. scene, which was... And going back at the time when it well, if you hadn't watched it day one, it was automatically ruined for you straight away because <laughs> yeah. it, it was all anyone was talking about for for the whole of the next week. Um, obviously, Jet Li's the one, um, and then Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Just I think mainly, like you said about Kill Bill, and really watched any martial arts film with a lot of wire working. Mm. And then everyone was raving about this thing called Crouching Tiger. I thought, I don't want to, I don't care about this. And it was another one of them. It was just, you can't really pick one one certain scene out there because it's all much of a muchness to my untrained eye. But yeah, I'll, more than enjoyable. Um, and the other one was the Battle of Minas Tirith. Obviously, Brother Rings. Just, but I, I, I couldn't. Mainly because I knew you'd have some kind of aneurysm again, and that if I mentioned Lord of the Rings too much, so I kind of for your own health, I left that one, that one off. But there's so many great fight scenes in all three of them films. Mm. Not so much The Hobbit, but the original three, the original trilogy, superb. Yeah, I was expecting a bit of Lord of the Rings action from you, to be honest. Uh, Matt, any honourable mentions, mate? Yeah, a couple. We got um, the sauna scene from Eastern Promises. Um, Vigo Mortensen. Basically, if you want a three-minute, really gratuitously violent um, fight scene that is entirely dick swinging, and I mean that in the most literal sense, then <laughs> Eastern Promises is um, is the film for you. It's a fantastic fight scene. Really, really, just brutal ag- aggression, um, and it's unrelenting as well. Um, <clears throat> and not necessarily a scene so much as one of probably the only legitimate um, Kung Fu that's probably like in, in that world, actually, uh, the ugly stepchild. But I really enjoyed the whole film, Kung Fu Hustle, which is kind of a martial arts, mm-hmm. action, comedy, gangster kind of film that doesn't take itself very seriously, but has actually very excellent fight scenes within it as well. Um, definitely worth a watch. Mm. You mentioning Viggo Mortensen then, it just reminded me, a history of violence, the scene in the diner. That's a really Mm. good scene. Yeah, that brings back some good memories. Great film. Uh, Tom, have you got anything left on your list to mention before you're number one? Oh, plenty. Yeah, yeah. Don't (laughs) don't worry. Um, Well, first of all, I have to mention Velocipaster. Ah, what a film. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) When you're talking about iconic action sequences, there's nothing (laughs) like a fellow... Dressed in a dinosaur costume, that to be honest, I could probably make a better version of yeah. household implements within arm's reach. Love it, brilliant! I film. mean, it was one of those films where I, I love watching a bad film. Battlefield mm. Earth is just—I'm obsessed yes. with it. I can't, I can't. <laughs> there are days when I just can't stop thinking about it. <laughs> and, uh, but the thing is, I, I think with Velocipaster, it's—it's not—it's. 
I wouldn't say it's a bad film. I'd say it's a decent comedy film because I think they've done yeah. all on purpose. Yeah, absolutely. I've had and an interview well. with the guy and he very much, he knows what it is and they worked to the, the limits that they could afford and it works perfectly well for what it is. Yeah. Well, anyway, j- jokes aside, I think uh, one of my favourite ones, very, very, very short scene, but Superman 2, when he gets his powers back and mm. goes back into the so cafe in the where, he got, where he got roughed up and he goes back and he teaches some people some manners. He absolutely lays it down, yeah. and then he just walks out of there like it was nothing. Just say, "Yeah, yeah I've just been, just been lifting weights." Brilliant. I just, I love that moment. And then Kung Fu Hustle is just. Mm. I, I remember when, when I'm thinking about my top five for this pod, I remember a time when I essentially used to do my own compilation fight scene VHSs that I used to record. <laughs> And actually, did amongst all the serious ones, I did have some from Kung Fu Hustle, and I think how it approached it was brilliant. Again, another name drop from a boy, Yen Wu Ping, and uh, yeah, just it, it took a, a fresh approach that was light-hearted, uh, and just how they dealt with. They kind of almost treated the training of different martial arts almost like it was a collectible, like you collect a card, you learn the style, you get the power. And I think there's, I think there's something that every nerdy completionist collector enjoys mm. so yeah Kung Fu Hustle uh, and then yeah I think I'll probably stop there otherwise I'll be <laughs> here on, 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 on. <laughs> brilliant uh, so number ones then my number one probably isn't that surprising it is the final scene from Empire Strikes Back Luke gets his hand taken by Vader. The truth is revealed. Like the actual physical fight between the two isn't the most hard hitting. I like the visual of them fighting each other in quite a dark, lots of greys and blacks, but they're fighting each other with a bright sword. So you've got that cutting through the dark. I think that's a really nice visual. Uh, But the ramifications of this scene, it's like you see it across cinema both like in sort of pop culture in a positive way, but also in a more, in a negative way when you look at parody stuff, shit like the guys from Scary Movies, the kind of stuff they do. It's affected everybody, this has. It has spawned a million tributes and a million parodies. There are very few scenes quite like this which have had this impact um, from cinema history. So not for the fight, but more for the everything else that it bought. It would Mm. be Empire Strikes Back. The Luke and Vader special. Stu? Well, when you, when mine was obvious as soon as Matt reminded us what the actual questions were. Um, <laughs> top five fight scenes. It's not even a fight scene, but really it's an entire film. But when you think of a fight scene written and directed by a Welshman, you think of a bar brawl in Cardiff. <laughs> but obviously it's not. It's the raid slash redemption. Already mentioned by Tom, almost spoiled earlier on. <laughs> just breathtaking, just absolutely from start to finish. And it was one of them where it was, it got kind of traction on the underground. People were talking about it and, oh, you need to see this film. It had already gone out of cinemas and it hadn't come on DVD yet. So the only way to do it was to Torrenty. But there was no subtitle version so i watched it for the first time having no idea what the fuck was going on obviously you can <laughs> you can kind of gather what's going on because it's it's pretty paint by numbers level up to the end boss kind of situation and 
it's just incredibly well done. And I don't, I didn't eat at all through the entire film, which is an achievement. Um, <laughs> no, no, no popcorn was taken. I just sat there for from start to finish, just open mouthed in astonishment at what was going on. And then it just never ends. The second one is not as good for me. It's a bit more, it's more over the top and it kind of knows what it is. But this, the first one was just perfect. Brilliant choice. Matt? From that, which to be fair, could have been, that could have been the top of my list completely. I think it was more knowing that one of you, one of you or Tom would ha- would have that movie, to be fair. Um, I'm going for what, almost kind of when you were discussing, you guys were discussing about what had impact on you when you were younger, but um, when Rocky finally wins the title from Apollo Creed in Rocky 2, mm. um, obviously the fight scenes in the Rocky films aren't always the best, but this is the best of all of the, or the at least the original five. Um, and it's, it's a culmination of kind of like two two film or how many hours, kind of three, three and a half, four hours worth of struggle for this character where you really, really just wanting to succeed. He's, he's so downtrodden and so beat and so the underdog and he gets his chance again and he's given absolutely zero chance to win. And, you know, it's just a, it's just a classic underdog story, but it's actually the actual fight itself is tremendous. And it's one of those... You really, you, you, I think. I, I think the power of it is because you just want him to win so much, mm. and that's what makes it really, really powerful. And, you know, knowing what he goes through in the film with Adrian, and then when he ch- changes from going from being a southpaw to being right hand, a right hand led boxer, and um, it's just, it's exhilarating. And it's not very often. I, I'm, I'm not a particularly happy person, generally speaking. <laughs> and I was just overwhelmed with joy the first time I saw him win. Um, mm. And it was just, it just meant everything. It was just so, and it, obviously it, it, it spawned its own things in history of obviously uh, Adrian, I did it. And, you know, Mankind, when he wins the title and he does that, mm. he does that as well. It just, it's what movies, it's what, not films, because I've said, I've, very, I've said before, films and movies are two different things completely. Mm-hmm. It's what movies should be. The end of, the end of that fight scene in Rocky 2. It's, the uplifting, happy ending that wraps it up nicely in a little neat bow and just gives you the payoff that you want. And he, he does it excellently. Mm. Where do you think that specific fight ranks in like all boxing films, not just in the Rockies? Would you say it's up there? Because personally, I think of the ones I've seen, um, Raging Bull is probably my favourite of yeah, the visual it's, aspects. It's not, it's not tremendous from a... Um, much like... Rocky Three's Thunderlips. It's the Hulk Hogan of boxing <laughs> scenes, I guess. It's yeah. big, it's flashy, it's it's bombacious, but it's not technically fantastic. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. um, Tom. You, you know, you've 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 boxed, or you, you know, you've you've been in the ring in martial arts sense. I'm sure you'd agree. It's not the most. It's not the most technically correct, but it is. It is exciting all the same. Yeah, it's. It's one of those where, yeah, I mean, I I could happily watch a 12-round fight where people are nowhere near knocking each other out and absolutely love it from the technique of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. It's like how some people enjoy watching a game of football 
and even if there's no goal score, they will appreciate yeah. the work that's been done. But yeah, there's a time and a place. It's the difference between I enjoy documentaries and I enjoy films, and there's just two different worlds with very two different objectives. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all the films that I love. It's stereotypical. One guy attacks at a time, show off some fancy moves, <laughs> and then on to the next one. Mm-hmm. You know, with a, a bit of flying in between. So yeah, I think yeah, <laughs> realism is is good, and I think sometimes the right take on a realistic approach really gives it that cutting edge to push it above kind of the crowd. Mm. But yeah, it's the narrative behind it. it. It's almost to say, is a fight only as good as what's being fought for? Mm. Mm. And I think that's where it's probably difficult to say go to someone with no like with no familiarity with the film and say watch this fight scene it's brilliant they probably won't feel the same way oh, no, no, to you not. watching the yeah, entire yeah. film because that fight scene is the culmination of everything it's the it's the peak of the conflict it's what it's led to because it takes a lot to lead to oh, a oh man like mm. everything from like the clothes like from from the robes so from with mickey and everything like what you've got to remember i i used to own a rocky bathrobe and would like <laughs> would, would like shadow box around the house in my rocky bathrobe <laughs> right, because i just love those movies so much oh man i mean the thing is it's like i think even if even if it's, if it's a world that you're familiar with whenever i was in the gym i could be knackered but the second hearts on fire came on <laughs> i tell you what i was i was moving like i've never moved before i you know everyone's got that <laughs> Everyone's got that fantasy in their head. Everyone wants yeah, to, of course. You know, yeah, and, and and that's what it's for, isn't it? That that's why I love fight scenes because in real life, fights are they're crap, are ugly, they? horrible <laughs> things. You know, they never work out well. You know, they never work out as you anticipate. Mm. You know, I think we've all thrown a uh, a haymaker in Oceana, and uh, it's not gone quite as we intended to. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and that's the thing about this kind of these these fantasies is because the, these are the fight scenes that we have in our head after we've had an argument with someone like with a bit of road rage or something this is how we see it going <laughs> but it never will yeah, yeah, <laughs> or if it does it's not going to be you doing it it's going to be the other chap that you really regret beeping your at. yeah so tom finish us off give us your number one please yeah this is as I've been going through my list, I've just seen this at the bottom and I'm just thinking, oh, I can't wait to talk about this. <laughs> it's it's my favourite by far. And just in doing preparation for this, I watched this probably about four times last night back to back. because I just absolutely love it. Uh, and it's the, the rooftop scene in Jackie Chan's Who Am I? Which is, if you can get over a bit of dated, overacting, dodgy dubbing and production choices, is generally an all-round great action film in my book uh, and one of my favourites. It's, it's got the great fight scenes. It's got, as you can imagine, phenomenal stunts. If you're into that kind of thing, it's even got some great driving sequences where a Mitsubishi Evo is just flying around Amsterdam <laughs> and does some like insane handbrake turn into a parking bay. Police car drives past and then they just pull out and drive in the other direction as cool as anything. I'm not even a car person and I enjoyed that. <laughs> and Along the same lines as Ong Back, Ong Back has got some phenomenal... There's this one chase sequence where he's running away from a crowd of machete-armed thugs. And some of the stuff he does, jumping through barbed wires over cars, he does one thing where he slides backwards doing the splits under a moving jeep, and it's just phenomenal. You know, Ong, Ong Back, is, I think that's what pipped it to become one of my favourite fight scene after all, because it's just 
the better action film as well. Uh, and who am I? This rooftop scene to uh, to paint a word picture. To paint a picture with him, a word brush. He um, he's in the the baddies building. He's he's found the the disc containing the plans, <laughs> and he's and he's and he's running away and being chased by these two henchmen. Uh, they corner him on the roof, and it just has absolutely everything. I think I mentioned before that Jackie Chan is probably more known for his work in stunts rather than his kind of strict martial arts fighting chops. And in this, it shows off just how good he is at just a really good, violent fight scene. Uh, it's got a bit of humour as well. Uh, there are things where essentially the, the henchmen have a bit of a game with them. The one guy goes first, he says a time, and they've got to try and knock him down in that time, and they're having a competition who can do it quickest. And what I like as well is that you've got the one henchman who's like on the shorter side and is very much punchy, elbowy, close quarters fighting, and you've got the other guy who's this like lanky Dutch bloke who's very much kind of kicking and chucking his feet up from all sorts of angles. Uh, the kind that Amsterdam is lesser known for. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, you've got the first guy going, he's fighting, and there's a, a part where Jackie Chan grabs his blazer. He's like they're, they're both wearing really cool suits, or at least what were considered cool at the time. Uh, grabs the grabs the blazer, pulls it over his head, ties the ends of it in a knot, and starts punching the hell out of the guy. And whilst that's going on, the other henchman who's timing it just kind of looks around and starts taking off his jacket. He's like, okay, cool. Uh, and then there's the next point, and the guy tries to get away, and Jackie Chan grabs his tie, and he's using his tie kind of like, you know those toys where you'd have a ball on a string on a tennis mm-hmm. racket? Yeah. And he just like, bong, 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 bong. And it essentially got the end of this guy's tie in his hand and he's just backfisting him in the head and he can't get away. Mm-hmm. And the second henchman sees that <laughs> and he just has a look around and starts taking his tie off. And just those little <laughs> little humorous touches that he's like, oh, bloody hell, mate, you're getting battered here. Right, jacket off, tie off, I'll learn from that. And there's a part where he's kind of, he's, he's grabbed the first henchman's earring and he's like spinning him around and then he throws him. And then there's like a little bit of a gasp because he's just got like a really finely coiled piece of metal in his hand whilst the guy goes flying off. And he's like, oh, it's like classical, like comical slapstick channing. Yeah. And, uh, and then you've got the, the second henchman takes over. And yeah, teenage me thought he was the absolute don. He starts off by picking up his mate's jacket off the floor with his one foot. And just doing like a split, a standing split straight in the air. So essentially his legs are a straight line. Uh, and then he goes to just put on an absolute display of acrobatic kicking. It's phenomenal. And it's, it's an illusion that was shattered for me because the, um, the actor who played this second henchman, I'm going to slaughter his name, a chap called Ron Schmorenberg. And he was like a, a Dutch Taekwondo champion. And it just goes to show that you could be a great fighter, but that's not necessarily going to always translate when shooting a mm. fight scene. Because he couldn't, behind the scenes, he couldn't quite get the timings right, and it kept on just catching him wrong, and it didn't look right. And there's, yeah, it, the fight scene's so good, you almost don't notice that during the kind of heavier, busier aspects of it, it's shrunk by about half a foot. because Jackie Chan basically just gets one of his more familiar guys in his own team some Australian chap to uh, to stand in for him and do all all the main bits of action but still absolutely incredible it's got um, 
It lasts for ages. There's peril with like involving them being on the rooftop. And it just yeah, it just brings in so many things that I enjoy. Different styles, a bit of humour, a bit of good old proper terror violence. And yeah, that thrown into what I feel is just a really underrated all-round action film. Uh, yeah, it gets the top spot for me by some distance. Excellent. Of all of the podcasts that we've done, I think this is the longest list of notes I've made on any of the for all the films <laughs> I now want to watch. I'm quite impressed with the, the, your film knowledge and all of this, Tom. It's very impressive. <laughs> it's actually really nice to talk about this out loud because this is, this is, <laughs> this is an interest I don't share with anyone at all. Like, no one that I know is this into either martial arts or specifically martial arts films, so it's wonderful to kind of relive a world that I was just obsessed with mm. 15 years ago plus uh, yeah, 20 years ago. Uh, <laughs> so it's just it's been fantastic to just relive all of this fantastic right so that's our top fives done let us know what your top fives or just what fight scenes that you've enjoyed in any films obviously you can get hold of us on the email cagefightingpod at gmail.com or on the twitter at cagefightingpod Next up, we are watching The Weatherman. Um, I would say just check uh, justwatch.com to see what streaming platform it is available to yourselves. We all fully recommend this film. We all enjoyed this one. So I'd say definitely check that one out if you get a chance. Uh, Please make sure that you're subscribed. And if you could leave us a review, we would thoroughly appreciate that. So for this week, Tom, thank you very much for joining us. We uh, really appreciate your time this evening. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. So Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, guys. Look after yourself. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? I am you, Law. I am nobody's bitch. Tom, would you like to say goodbye? Bye. (laughs) It's goodbye (laughs) from me. And remember, be excellent to each other. (laughs) 